Hello, everyone. Welcome to what is episode nine of the Connecting Construction podcast. I'm your host, Evan Hill, along with Matthew Sprague and Dan Connery. It's been a couple of weeks. I am excited to be back with you all. We've got a super, super exciting and interesting conversation on deck for today. But before we introduce our guests and begin our discussion, I want to quickly recap uh, the previous episode that just debuted either a week and a half, two weeks ago. We had Rob Painter on the show. Rob is the global CEO of Trimble. Uh, so Trimble is obviously a massive, massive company with something like 13, 14,000 employees, a $14 billion market cap. Definitely go back and listen to that show. So it's available on Spotify, Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, the eBuilder blog, eBuilder social medias. Um, you can pretty much find it anywhere and we're constantly expanding. So whatever your favorite platform is, we're there and we plan to be there couple of quick items we talked about connect and scale 2025 trimble's mission beyond or behind connected construction and what that means we hear that term really thrown around all the time in in you know the context space um rob's rob's vision for the next five to ten years of construction obviously he's a pioneer within the industry somebody who's been around for a while and finally some exciting technologies that are transforming construction outside of trimble things that rob has his that has caught his attention. Uh, Dan actually particularly blew my mind with some some of the things they were mentioning back and forth. So definitely go back, watch episode eight. Of, again, it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever your favorite platform is. So with that said, I am going to go ahead and introduce our guests for today's show. We have got the Antevi brothers, founders of eBuilder, both Ron and John, I had to pull some strings to get them onto the show today. Um, so I'm super, super excited about it. The original founders, founders of eBuilder, which is really the leading project management system in, in the construction software space. Uh, Ron and John, both of you, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you. Before we even jump into uh, some of the exciting topics we're going to talk about, why don't you give the audience a little bit of information about yourselves, both professionally and personally? Um, John, I'll start. I'll start with you. Great, Evan. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. So, a little bit about myself. I've got a beautiful wife and three daughters. Uh, you know, based out of uh, Plantation, Florida. Um, some of my hobbies are uh, playing piano and ukulele. Uh, and I love washing cars. Funny enough, it's uh, sort of therapy for me. And uh, from a career perspective, grew up in uh, my parents' interior design business, uh, which is sounds fancier than it is, but it was basically slip covers and reupholstery, backbreaking work uh, that my father I'd help him do. Uh, but my grandfather, and my uncle, are in the construction industry, and my parents uh, worked with them to develop warehouses and duplexes. So, long story short, we grew up around the construction industry. That's what led me to get my degree in architecture and then my master's in construction management. And I wrote my thesis and that's uh, how I got into this e-builder business. Where'd you go to school, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, University of Florida. I graduated in uh, 94 with my undergrad and 95 with my master's. Great, welcome to the show. Ron, how about yourself? All right, well, thanks. Thank you, Evan, also for having me. 
Um, so uh, I'm also a UF uh, University of Florida graduate, a Gator, graduated in 1991 with a degree in civil engineering. Um, I, like John, uh, very passionate about construction because of the, our family's background between my parents and grandfather and uncle and others that were involved. We, we always knew we wanted to get in, in business of some, uh, construction of some kind. Um, I, I was in sort of in engineering, acted as an owner for a number of years before uh, joining John and uh, doing the e-builder thing for the last 20 plus years. Um, on a personal front, uh, I have three kids. Um, I, uh, in terms of my hobbies, I'm like John. You know, we a lot of similarities. Obviously, it's I guess why we uh, we have been able to work together so well and get along for for many many years. But I'm into music as well. I sing and play the piano, play guitar, and that's that's sort of my hobby when I want to uh, get my mind off of work or de-stress. Is I'll go grab my guitar or hop on the piano and play, um, and I, that's that's me. Cool. Welcome to the show. Um, I did not know you both were so musically talented. My wife is uh, of the same breed, and I swear to God, you guys have completely different minds than the rest of rest of humanity. I I can't <laughs> I can't fathom that. It's like an art. I I don't know. I, I just I just don't even understand how how your brains think like that. Um, well, welcome to the show, both of you. Uh, Gators fans, happy to happy and excited to have you guys on. Uh, let's begin the show with the birth of eBuilder. So I know eBuilder has been around quite a while. I think it's either 25 or 26 years now. It's something like that. Um, I'm fairly new to the company. You guys are not new to the company. You guys founded the company. So that's what I want to open up this conversation with, the birth of eBuilder. How did it start? Whose idea was it? How did it come to be? Because I know right now eBuilder is this big, great thing, but I know all these great things, especially in business, always start small. So maybe, Ron, do you want to start us off with the context to how eBuilder began? Sure. Um, so John mentioned that he got his uh, undergraduate degree in architecture and then went on to get a master's degree uh, in construction management. And when he was getting his master's degree, he had to write a master's thesis. So this is uh, 1994 timeframe. He's working on his master's thesis. And to put the timing in perspective, in 1993 is when the Netscape came out with the internet browser. So the internet, as we think of it today, really was born when Netscape came, up with that, came out with that browser that people could now have access, more access to the internet. So it was just really at the infancy of the internet. And John was writing his master's thesis and was really thinking in a visionary way at the time. But he, he was into technology and liked technology. And he combined his sort of love for technology with love for construction and said, wow, wouldn't it be cool if you could use this thing called the internet to help people in construction communicate and collaborate and really connect to one another in a way that they were never able to do before. And so he wrote his master's thesis about this concept. And, and, and really, it was the basics of it's not what we think of eBuilder today, but essentially, the, that master's thesis became the version 1.0 of the, of the eBuilder business plan. And when John was, uh, when John graduated, some of the folks on his thesis committee encouraged him 
and John, you you can chime in here after this, but you know they they said, John, this is you're onto something here, and you can always go and get a job and and work at a construction company, but you really ought to see where this goes and do something with it. And and John just out of school, no money, um, but he but he went for it, and and that was really the the birth of eBuilder, and that was in 1995. Um, and then I joined him shortly after that uh, in, in 1998. And John, maybe you want to add on to that, uh, to, to the parts I missed of that initial story. Yeah, and I, th I think that was a good overview, uh, just to dive a little deeper. In fact, Ron and I were just at the University of Florida. We were humble that they um, you know, gave us the uh, honor of the Construction Hall of Fame. And I mentioned that because that one of the things that we mentioned in our discussion with the group was that, you know, back in 94 and 95, there was that opportunity to get a job with DCC constructors out of Altamont Springs in Orlando for $55,000 a year. And that's a big decision for a broke college student to say you could either get 55000 a year and get a job. Uh, or you can start your own company without any money. And I remember, certainly I started with my professors, hey, what do you think? Oh, you're six months ahead of everyone. You're going to be irrelevant if you go into industry and then come and try to start the company. You, you got to take that advantage now. And I remember distinctly calling Ron and saying, hey, what should I do? And and I quote, he said, look, you, you literally have no money, so you can't lose that. Uh, you have a beat up old Honda that's paid for. And... Right now you're running an apartment and if things don't work out, you could always move back with mom and dad in South Florida because we were up in Gainesville and you could always get, get that job at DCC Constructors. So, I mean, it just, it made perfect sense. You know, I didn't have a family, so I, I really had nothing to lose. And it's one of the things that we always talk about with other entrepreneurs, which is to, you know, make bold decisions early when you can. Uh, you, you really have nothing to lose. So, you know, a, a lot of folks helped us along the way, but, Certainly, uh, I had hit a ceiling at eBuilder. Uh, we, we were struggling. You know, we, it was mostly sweat equity. I certainly had never run a business before. Um, you know, Ronald had already been out in, in the industry working for waste management, some other large organizations. And, you know, so it was great timing to say, look, I, I need some help. How do we take it to the next level? And, you know, we, we were a great team, continue to be a great team, uh, you know, ever since that time. So one of the questions I have for you right off the bat that came to my mind is, what was the first eBuilder office? Was it, was it one of your garages? Was it a bedroom? Where did it start? Where, where did work begin? Well, gosh, I mean, the, the very first is we were just working out of our apartments in Gainesville. And uh, Ron, I think even when you had come onto the scene, we were in the very first sort of formal Place and that was just that uh, two-story condo, right? It was like a apartment, yep. townhouse. It, it literally could have been your college apartment uh, dorm type of you know, complex. You know, you, you, you go up the stairs and everything's creaking, crattling and all that kind of stuff. But that, that was the first opportunity that we had uh, to, out of Gainesville. And it, and it was in it was in Gainesville, by the way. We we uh, got started and the business was in Gainesville, based out of Gainesville until uh, two uh, 2000, late 2000, when we moved to South, back home to South Florida and brought the business with us. So from starting the business, the, the conception, the original conception of the idea of e-builder, how long did it take for you guys to get your first customer 
And who was that first customer? Oh, so it's funny. Our, our first customers, uh, we didn't charge them anything for it uh, because we wanted to get more marketing dollars out of it. So there was a project called Harbor Islands, uh, actually down in South Florida where we live. And we were involved on that project where we posted initially some photos and documentation of the project. Uh, we got involved with FMI Corporation, which is the nation's largest consulting organization to the construction industry. And they introduced us to the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, when they built their stadium in Tampa. So that was another one that actually got a lot of press in engineering news record but we didn't charge anything for it. Um, how do we get our money, you ask? We did a lot of website development because that was new and people were so enamored. I mean, I'm talking about project specific websites and databases and document management and RFI management, which is request for information. Most people are still trying to figure out how did that graphic come up when you typed in a number or when you typed in yahoo.com, right? How, how did that graphic come up? So. They were just so afraid that if they didn't have an online brochure of their company, that they were going to go out of business. So <clears throat> we, we spent quite a bit of time developing, you know, uh, labor for hire, if you will. Uh, and, and then the other thing was the primary driver is we were written up in engineering news record by a woman named Judy Schreiner, who we still stay in touch with today. She was the, uh, digital editor of that magazine. And it's got a distribution of about 400,000 people uh, every week. And subsequently, we were in there probably about 35 or so times, you know, over the next five years. But the minute that article uh, was presented, people started to call and say, hey, we'd like you to come and speak to our organization or to our association. So I spent probably the good, good three to five years, about 200 days a year on the road on an airplane. Um, making presentations. Uh, so we would take the speaking fees, uh, typically three to $5,000. That would go back to the company. Uh, and then any expenses that they had for my travel and things of that nature, that came to me as cash. And that's what I used to pay the things that I had to pay cash with, my rent, you know, most notably. And then everything else, gas, food, et cetera, I use credit card. Uh, and when Ron came onto the scene, I was 50,000 in debt. So Oh, yeah, as you know, it ended better than it started, but uh, give me some background. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'll add one one piece onto that, um, Evan, is uh, late, later on, we started working with um, the Washington Suburban Sanitary District is one of our paying customers um, that was using eBuilder early on. And what is a really, really cool uh, story and something that I'm proud of, I think we're all proud of, is that they're a customer to this day and they're a happy customer 20 some odd years later. So it's pretty cool. And in, in, in fact, Tim Barr was the leader of that group at WSSC. And I stayed in touch with them over the years and probably about maybe a year and a half ago or so, uh, a little bit longer, maybe about two, two, two plus years ago, I had a chance when I was out in Baltimore to actually go see him and break bread with them and catch up with him in person, and along with Kathy McGinnis, who was sort of his right-hand person that was actually using the tool and the power user and giving us all the feedback. So it, it, it's, it's really neat, the relationships that we've been able to maintain and build upon over these last 25 or 26 years uh, has been really, really special. So 
I'm going to ask you to go all the way back to year one again. Do you have, and this is just to satisfy my own curiosity. Do you guys have any of those old documents or screenshots of what the product may have looked like in 1995? Or is that something that's like long gone? I've got it. I've got all of it. Yeah, I yeah. Would, yep. <laughs> I yeah, would yeah. appreciate being sent those files just to uh, satisfy my own curiosity, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about the first customer of the business. Who was the first employee and what was their position and, and what was the time gap between, you know, e-builder conception and that hire? Go ahead, John. So uh, that was a James Kaza, uh, who actually Ron and I just saw this past weekend because he was at the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. He actually lives in Gainesville, uh, always lived in Gainesville. Uh, he worked at Chance Hospital. He worked for IBM uh, previously, right when he graduated, was interning there and then working at Chance Hospital. But he was the very first person that was on our payroll, and he effectively built eBuilder uh, for the organization. And what, what just what a great person, uh, smart, you know, wicked smart, uh, very humble, uh, honest. And I think maybe what less than a year ago uh, he retired, and and you know we stay in touch with him. Uh, and but, but he, he's based out of Gainesville, Florida. But we're just a wonderful man. He did so much for us as an organization. Yeah, and it was about a year ago that he retired, and and uh, like John said, it was pretty cool. We got to see him this weekend and at this hall of fame event and my my mom was there and she saw james and she remembers james because you know again we've all worked together for so long he was at our weddings we were at his wedding uh we we were working together before all of us were married and had kids and now we're all uh you know losing our hair and going gray so uh <laughs> my mom was impressed with that <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna mention something but i'm gonna mention it anyway because you mentioned gray hair Today I learned that eBuilder and myself, Evan Hill, share the same birth year. And yes, Matt and Dan, that is to make you feel a little bit old. So we share the same wow. birth year. <laughs> Born in 1995, 95 kid. Um, so that's great. I appreciate that. Um, everyone, you know, when it comes to like startups and tech, everybody hears about the founders like yourself who have had wild success you know, defining a completely new category, you know, skyrocketing, skyrocketing to some crazy revenue number, profit margins. But one area I like to focus on is what went wrong. And I know it's not flashy. I know it's not glamorous. The entrepreneurial spirit is rarely flashy or glamorous, like you said, Ron, early and John, early in the days of eBuilder. Um, as early founders of the business, what were some of your greatest mistakes um, and, and what did you learn from those mistakes? Um, so I, I guess I, I could start there. Um, and first of all, I, I agree with your point, Evan. It, a lot of people look at uh, entrepreneurs and they see successful entrepreneurs and they uh, underestimate the amount of time and effort and things that go wrong along the way to get to a point where people view you as successful. John and I always used to joke around. People would say, oh, wow, you guys are, are it's amazing this, you've, how you've rocketed up, you know, how you've grown this business. And we say, yeah, it's a 20 year overnight success. You know, it definitely didn't happen quickly. Um, 
but in terms of big mistakes, I, I'll, I'll tell you that there's been many of them. You know, I mean, it, it's it's the the and the best lessons are the ones that uh, the hard lessons that we learned along the way that didn't didn't kill us or the company. But those are the ones that are the most memorable now. And we can look back on them. And, and we like to share these stories with to help other people, too. Um, but a couple I'm, I'll mention uh, first is a lack of focus. So early on, we we said we're going to be selling into the construction industry. We're going to sell contractors, architects, engineers, owners, big, small, you name it, geography, uh, Europe, South Africa, America. It's like we're going to conquer the whole world. Uh, and here we are with our you know a handful of employees, and about. In the early 2000s, we we decided that we're going to focus in, like tremendously focus in, and on one very very specific piece of the business, and that is um, healthcare owners that are building a certain amount that have multiple campuses. And when we did our market research, uh, it, that was less than a thousand targets, and this was in North America that we focused in. So. Having that level of focus, when we first said we we're going to do that, we debated it vigorously, and many people in our company looked at us and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna do bad because of this. We're, we're narrowing our focus." And it's actually counterintuitive when you decide you're going to go after much, a much smaller piece of the market. You start to grow, and that's really what helped us uh, be successful. So in the beginning, we just sold one engineer and one owner and one contractor and we never really got good at anything um and we were always chasing each one of them had different featured kind of requests and demands so we were stretching our resources we weren't making any money um and and the focus is what you know is a big lesson learned so that's that's one and then i'll mention another one which is um uh sales and, and learning and understanding how sales and marketing really works. Um, I'm an engineer. I had no background in sales or marketing. Um, John, you know, say both of us, I mean, John went out there and in, for the first five, seven years was he was out there trying to sell and uh, doing things the way he thought he was supposed to do them as a salesperson. Um, and we were marketing the way we thought we were supposed to market. Um, we made many, many mistakes there. And then we, we started in, again, in the mid 2000s, we started to learn about sales and marketing. We really, the science of sales and marketing, I would call it. Um, we went to trainings. Uh, we, we had folks come in and help us, but really, really digging in and understanding how that process is supposed to work and perfecting it within the business. And that also took us, uh, that's how we started to grow the, the company. And I meet so many entrepreneurs, especially in technology. Many of them have a product background or a technology background. And so they believe that the product, if they, if they build an amazing product, they will have success. And somebody once told me, products don't sell, sales sells. So yes, you have to have a great product, and that's sort of the price of admission. But just having a great product by itself, if you don't have a process to bring that product to market and to get people to buy it, 
um, you're not going to sell any of it. So that, that was a huge lesson learned. And that's really what started the business taking off. If you look at 1995 to 2005, we were still a very small company in 2005. It was around then that we started to grow 20, 30 percent a year, uh, every year after that. And John, I don't know if you have any, that, that was a long answer, but John, maybe you have some more to add there. Yeah, Ron, I, I think you nailed it. I, I'll just add some color to the comment about the, the sales aspect, just to give you a sense, Evan. When I was out there selling, the, the first seven years, I did it the wrong way. Uh, and that's how I became really passionate about how to do it the right way in the subsequent years following that. And what that looks like is, I mentioned 200 days a year on the road. Uh, I gave hundreds of presentations a year, one-on-one, -on -one, group presentations, et cetera. And eBuilder, you know, it, it, it does a lot of stuff. So I would be that guy that would show up and throw up. I would show them every little thing eBuilder can do. Let me show you this and let me show you that. And it took people like Tim Barr at WSSC, the Suburban Commission, that uh, Sanitary Commission, our first client. You know, he was smart enough to, to take what I was showing him and saying, okay, <clears throat> at the commission, we have three problems. John just showed me 50 things eBuilder can do, but I'm going to discount all those 50 uh, or, you know, the, the 46 of them, 47 of them, and I'm going to just take the three features he showed and apply them to the three problems that I have. And that's how I'm going to go ahead and justify the use of eBuilder and save time and, and save money. But for seven years, I didn't realize that until we started to understand the, the proper way to help clients discover and to help people like myself and people around me communicate properly to say that you have a problem and here's specifically how eBuilder can solve that problem. And it, it really changed my life because, boy, that was hard work, you know, the first seven years. And, and, we, and, I, and I wasn't successful either. So you, you get beat down every single day. And you want to quit, um, but there was still so much excitement and passion for the industry, for the technology, and just meeting all these great people on these really cool projects that I guess that's what kept me going. So, Gray, I'm going to go ahead and interject a, a question. But before I do that, what I want to do is, is summarize what I heard from you, John, from a there's a longer story uh, behind this, but it's how do you know how to do the right thing? And that's you do the wrong thing a bunch of times. Um, and eventually you figure out what the right thing is. But the, what I'd like to have you guys reflect on is culture. And, and I'd like to do a little bit of setup before that and then have you reflect on this for folks listening. Uh, my favorite quote is, culture is the shadow of the leader. And so when I think about, uh, you even mentioned the, the one of the words that I would describe the two of you with your award, which was you were humbled. So for me, the key characteristics of, of good leaders, and I think uh, the two of you have this in spades, is uh, honesty, integrity, humbleness, truthfulness, and steward leadership. So I'd love to have you reflect on that. Do you agree with the comment that culture is the shadow of the leader? And uh, what do you think about the shadow you cast upon our business? So I'll start with you, Ron. Sure. So thank, thanks for saying that, Dan, and, and that of, of everything, anytime I hear that sort of thing, it, it makes my day because I believe that uh, culture is, it's, it's 
the the key to everything. It's the soul of the company. It's uh, of a business. And I I learned that lesson too the hard way uh, early on in my career, being an engineer and everything being black and white to me. Culture was this squishy thing that I couldn't put my I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't understand it, and I didn't understand what that had to do with revenue and income and financials and and business and customers and so on. Um, I did learn early on with mentors and with my own experience how important it is to have a, a, a solid culture. And really, at the end of the day, I, th- I think there's what's the, there's another saying: a culture eats strategy uh, for breakfast. You know, it's a culture is the key. Um, to, to having a successful company. So I do think it is a reflection of us and, and who we are. Um, we, live our, we live our lives a certain way and, and, and certain values, and we bring those values uh, in our personal lives and in our work. And we hope to um, bring some of those values to carry them through to the people that we work with and then eventually out uh, impacting our customers. So I believe um, to, to your question, Dan, I mean, first of all, it's, it's key. Um, I do believe it's related to what we do. And, and I will say that I'm, I'm very proud. Uh, I'm always working on doing it better and doing things and, and living my life in a way that uh, I lead by example. Um, but I am proud of, that, of the culture that we have as a business is one of, to me, one of our proudest accomplishments uh, for John and myself. Great. And I'll add on to that, that it, it's extremely fulfilling to help people. And there's also such a great desire not to let people down. So I know personally, I, I went out of my way. Ron did as well, right? In the early years when we were sort of connected at the hip on everything to make sure that eBuilder was a fit for these clients before they parted with their money. Um, so sometimes people would say, well, we could use eBuilder for X, Y, Z, whatever it might've been. But if that wasn't something that we had seen eBuilder do, we, we were honest and said, look, no one's ever used eBuilder like that before. I, I guess we could explore it. We typically would have gone back that evening and tried to work out some proof of concept. So we would always challenge them and still till this day, challenge them. But we didn't just say yes. And in fact, we said no quite a bit. You know, no is not a dirty word within the organization. And I think people uh, respected us for that. At least that's what they, you know, tell us after we make a sale. Hey, you guys are really honest in this process. We we don't say yes to everything. Uh, But but it ends with having a a product uh, and a client that's really satisfied. And um, when you look at COVID, Again, we've had many of our longtime clients send us notes, call us and say, my gosh, you have no idea. If we did not have eBuilder, we could not have operated because we had to leave our offices. No one can go back there. Projects are still moving, especially some of the transportation projects where we do quite a bit of work. And people at the time were off the roads. So it was an opportunity for the DOTs to do a lot of work because they don't have to shut the roads down. Well, they effectively were shut down because of COVID. But how do you get, get all this communication happening? Well, everything was online. Uh, all that information is there for them. And for them to just proactively reach out and tell us and thank us for that is, is the most fulfilling thing. Because, again, we led by example and led with that honesty uh, and integrity that, that you mentioned, Dan. So that's a little bit about the birth of eBuilder. I'm going to throw a curveball your guys' way. Why Trimble? 
I, I, I do not believe there's not a single doubt in my mind that Trimble was uh, the first com company to approach you guys about an acquisition. I'm sure there were uh, larger organizations before them, earlier than them. Ron, maybe I'll throw this one your way initially. Um, how did how, how did talks with Trimble begin and why Trimble ultimately? Okay, sure. So, yes, so many, many private equity firms and companies, uh, lots of companies who I'm sure you've heard of their names uh, had approached us over the years, over the last decade, wanting to do something whether it's invest in the business or buy the business. And we had decided around 2017 that we probably wanted to bring in an investor and really work with us to help, not, the, not so much for the money, but more for the expertise and really help us take eBuilder to the next level. We believe that even though we had lots of success and we still believe there's there's we're still in the infancy of this and there's just so much more opportunity ahead so we were going through our process and we have been speaking to uh, a number of investors and, and thinking what we might do and we had an opportunity the trimble folks wanted to come meet with us and um i'll never forget this and and i've i've told i've told this story to a few people but um, we had a meeting and it was one of the early meetings. So it was unusual. Uh, our advisors told us that it was, it was very unusual. But the CEO of Trimble, uh, who at the time um, was Steve Berglund, he recently retired and, and Rob moved into the seat. But Steve came to, uh, came to Florida to meet with us along with Bryn Fosberg. And Bryn manages the construction sector for Trimble. And Bryn has been with Trimble for 25 plus years. Uh, and then another fellow, Michael Lucina. And we had an interesting conversation. It, it, was, it was about a three-hour meeting, two to three-hour meeting. And it was not scripted in any way. And when you go through a process of investing and speaking to these investors, what you find is it's very structured. It's very scripted is maybe the word that comes to mind for me. But uh, these guys, we just kind of had a conversation and we talked about what they had seen in the industry. We talked about um, where, their, where the vision was for them. We talked about other businesses that they had bought and where things maybe didn't go according to plan for them and what they might have done differently. And it was just a, it was just an, uh, a real down to earth, open and honest conversation. And I remember walking out of that meeting with, and John and I both looked at each other and said, we could, we could do something with these guys. We, you know, we felt a connection immediately, uh, a cultural, this goes back to the culture. We felt a cultural connection. These were honest, humble people that had big aspirations and big dreams, but they're not big egos. And um, our real our whole goal has been to, we want to make a difference in construction. We want to impact this industry. We want to leave a legacy, if you will, that when we look back, we could say, you know, we did some small part at eBuilder, all of us together, to really change the way people build buildings. 
And that is what Trimble is out to do. Uh, their tagline, in fact, is transforming the way the world works. And we felt after that one meeting, and we had several after that, but we felt like it was a great opportunity to accelerate our vision. We felt like with Trimble, we could do more than we could ever do on our own. And couple that with the culture match, and we just felt really good about the people that we met. Uh, and that's that's kind of how we ended up saying Trimble is where we want to go and sell the whole company, which we did not have, we we did not intend to do. So we that was a change in our strategy, purely because Trimble approached us. John, anything you want to add there? Sure. Uh, the, the individuals that Ron mentioned, Steve, Bryn, um, several others, were, were very transparent and honest right from the jump. Uh, that was clear, and. Trimble as an organization is fully entrenched in the construction industry. So we thought to ourselves, look, we're, if anyone's going to partner with us and if we're going to partner with anyone else, we need to make sure that they have the same values and cultural aspects that Ron mentioned, because these are our good friends. We've known them for over 20 years from a client. Our clients are our friends. So we wanted to make sure that we were all in alignment and Trimble stood out uh, by far. And, and this notion of the legacy that Ron talks about, when we talk about making a difference in eBuilder uh, to really impact the lives of others, we, we think of Kip Edwards, actually recently retired at uh, Banner Healthcare. When we first met him, he was doing about $1.2 billion, which was over, uh, I think it was a four or five year program. And as soon as he lit eBuilder up, and it took us a while, you know, probably about six to seven months, you know, big organization. <clears throat> he was able to find $70 million in what he called budget dust because the system showed you have projects that aren't going great. You have projects that are going great and you have projects that are right, you know, tracking to where they should. So where do you find that money from? It's actually the projects that were going great that still had a year or two left to go, but he had visibility into all the financial reporting that he was able to pull monies uh, to the tune of about $70 million, and they built a cancer center four years ahead of time of when they originally had planned it in their master plan. And that, in turn, helps to save uh, people, presumably, and prolong their lives. So really being able to make a difference and to grow that influence of eBuilder uh, across the world, Trimble has that footprint, and we're certainly taking advantage of it in a good way, in a positive way to make a difference uh, in our industry. So 25 years later, uh, you guys have defined an entire new product category. You have led led the way with innovation in the construction space. And I know we're running a little bit tight on time, so I'll close with this question to both of you. Um, Ron, and you can go first. What, what advice would you give to early tech founders, particularly within the construction space? What advice would you give to those founders? Um. I would say stay focused on the customer and the problem that you're trying to solve for the customer. Don't, don't, don't be inward focused, be outward focused. And like John said, be bold, make bold moves and be persistent. Don't give up. Um, there's going to be early on, there are many, many, many more chances to quit than there are to keep going. It's a lot harder to keep going than it is to just give up. And I would say, don't give up. 
I'll leave it at that. John? So I would add to that to learn how to be a great listener. It's going to help in developing solutions that solve real problems. People will pay for that, right? They, they will listen to you. And too many times, again, Dan talked about it earlier, we, we did some things wrong, a lot of things wrong in the beginning. Uh, I was talking too much. I was telling everybody all the things about eBuilder that I knew. But I was overloading people with information and, and it wasn't relevant. So uh, Ron and I have actually spent quite a bit of time with a lot of friends and friends of friends and uh, gone to a lot of internet incubators locally here, really just trying to give back because, again, it's fulfilling to share the mistakes that, that we learned. And uh, many of these organizations are specifically focused on entrepreneurs. So we often tell folks when you know they come in and have all these ideas and we often ask, well, how did you, and a lot of it's written down, but hey, how'd you come up with all this stuff? And they say, well, we just came up with it on our own. Okay, well, it, it's a good starting point, but have you talked to the people that eventually you're going to sell this to? Have you just gone to do some research, ask them questions, use them as a sounding board? And such a simple concept, but it was foreign to a lot of people. And they said, oh, you know, we really haven't done that. And what's really fulfilling is and neat to hear is we'll run into those same folks again at maybe the next venue six months later, a year later. Maybe they'll email us a few months after that and say, hey, guys, you won't believe it. You know, we went to three or four of, uh, of our best prospects uh, or people that we're just getting to know and shared all these ideas. And they give us all this great, these great insights and information. And most of them ended up by saying, you know, hey, Evan, if you actually put this idea into practice and you develop something, let me know about it because I want to be one of the first people to actually use it. So they actually got a lot of them their first client in that way. So again, very fulfilling. And it's all about being a great listener. Uh, that That's really the bottom line. It, God gave us two ears and only one mouth for a reason. That is a perfect cap to this conversation. There you have it, folks. Episode nine of the Connecting Construction podcast the Entevi brothers, founders of eBuilder, and really the founders of an entire new product category over the past 25 years. John and Ron, thank you both for joining us today. Uh, you can find the show as always on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, eBuilder Blogs, eBuilder Social, wherever you get your podcasts, go ahead and listen to episode eight. Don't forget that. We had that a couple of weeks ago with Rob Painter. So Thank you, everyone, to joining in today. Uh, terrific conversation with the Antebi brothers. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.